0: Welcome back to Unscripted. I'm your host, Lindsay Amarine. I connected this week with Dr. Michael Gagneau, Senior Director of Pharmacy Practice and Quality at the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, or ASHP. He was awarded the ASHP CEO Staff Excellence Award at the most recent ASHP mid-year clinical meeting. Mike and I met during ASHP Policy Week while he was at Ohio State. I've enjoyed seeing his name in so many forums within ASHP, as he helps us all keep up to date on drug shortages, compounding, COVID therapies, and accreditation. He was recently named to the Joint Commission's Pharmacy Advisory Council as well. I look forward to him representing pharmacy on this council and another committee that you'll hear about. Please enjoy Dr. Michael Ganio
1: How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Hanging in there. How about you?
0: <laughs> Same. I feel like I see your name everywhere. Uh, you seem to be in a lot of
1: different places. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. Yeah, the, uh, the COVID pandemic on top of regular job responsibilities, as with everyone. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, it's just, it's crazy all the things going on.
0: Well, and I feel like shortages, I've, I want to say that, you know, when they started 10 years ago, that I kind of thought it was just a wave and you know, we'll get through it in a couple of years. And then it died down for a little bit, but like was is always still been there. And then I feel like it just spiked again.
1: Yeah. Certainly the pain on the front lines right now with shortages is is one of the biggest issues as especially as Omicron sort of subsides. You know, we don't get a lot of transparency into the causes. We asked the question, and there are sort of vague answers about, you know, increase in demand for the drug or a quality problem or a supply chain issue. Um, right now, we, the insight that we have points to similar to the rest of the supply chain. Um, there's workforce issues. A lot of mm-hmm. people have left their jobs, and so that's, that's had an effect. There's transportation issues in general with the supply chain, and then that's on top of the ongoing quality problems that tend to lead to a lot of shortages. So I think uh, I agree with you. When when I was in practice, it seemed like, oh, well, this is the shortage du jour that we've got to manage for this month or this two-month period, and then kind of went back to normal. And now it's just, it's multiple, <laughs> all at the same time, all ongoing for months on end. Um, and it's just very frustrating. Is it
0: also, you know, are are there drugs that are just sitting in the docks that just you can't get drug off of it. Is that part of it too?
1: There's been input from some of the drug organizations, the manufacturer organizations. So pharma um, is the one most people know. There's one called Bio, um, which is primarily biologics. And then there's one called AAM, Americans for Accessible Medic- uh, Medicines. And that's the generic pharma, essentially we have been in some meetings um, with those groups and they say that there's good movement there's good prioritization they want to make sure their their products continue to be prioritized to get offloaded at the at the docks and through customs but that's not been a, a pinch point so that at least the um, at least that's good and one thing that I find fascinating about this job is the the weeds that I get into so you know the, the usual today I learned a couple of weeks ago I learned that there's a I can't remember what it's called it's a something for pharmaceutical excellence within U.S. Customs and Border Patrol and it's for for pharmaceuticals so who knew Interesting.
0: yeah and that would be a today I learned
1: <laughs> exactly
0: yeah well um, yeah I, I am interested, you know, you were at Ohio State before being at ASHP, you know, have you, were you always interested in quality or or organizational management or which one, I guess, led you to get to ASHP?
1: I'm, I'm kind of a policy nerd, I think, you know, with policy comes a lot of things, but uh, quality and safety I had kind of an unusual career path. I was a, well, back then it was a pharmacy practice resident, but people would know it today as a PGY-1. Um, I practiced clinically at a community hospital for three years before going back to Ohio State as uh, sort of a hybrid clinical specialist-generalist position. And the specialist area was in physical medicine and rehabilitation, so not the most acutely ill patients. So I had some bandwidth, um, and I got really involved with our residency program and was in some of the leadership meetings, and I thought, wow, I want to get into pharmacy management and leadership. And went back to school for my master's degree, and it's hard to go back part-time while you're a clinician. So I actually, at the time, we had just adopted the Epic EHR at Ohio State, Um, so I converted to informatics for three years while I earned my master's degree, which was a fun experience. It added one more thing that I have some knowledge about, and being in class next to our master's residence was really a cool experience. So in a lot of ways, I was mentoring them and advising them through things. And then here I am in the classroom with them next to them. So really fun, fun uh, experience. But I graduated with that master's and um, became a manager of our outpatient um, oncology infusion sites at OSU. But at the same time, I had been uh, president of our Central Ohio Society and president of our Ohio Society. And I, um, I actually, we served on council and pharmacy practice together for a year. We did,
0: we are both A&P. policy nerds.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that sort of led to this, you know. Well, maybe, maybe there's a career path to follow some of these, you know, advocacy and policy related issues. And I interviewed for the position and when it turned out I could work remotely and continue to live in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I decided to go ahead and, and take the job, and it's been very fulfilling. It's been kind of a wild ride the last few years, but I think that's true of anyone
0: um,
1: who's who's worked through the pandemic. But it's been uh, it's been an amazing experience so far, and I always will recommend people get involved with their professional organizations and and get involved with advocacy because you never know where it's going to lead you.
0: Well, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think policy week for me just opened my eyes to a lot of things that I think you get sort of stuck in that rut in your day job of, oh, we can't do that. That's, you know, the law doesn't allow us to do that or there's policies against that. And then you get to policy week and you shape the policies of a professional organization and then you do legislative day and you talk with your legislators and then you realize they're real people (laughs) and uh, versus you know people that you see on tv and you sort of uh don't think that they have you know that maybe they're grounded in what the actual issues are but you are voters and your constituents Mm -hmm. and then you educate them and, and definitely the ones that i was meeting with we were educating and they're not on health committees so they this is brand news to brand new news to them and you can actually make it a, a difference and have them sign on and get them behind it so
1: yeah the, you get me excited to go back to dc <laughs> <laughs> um and i, I felt that uh, you know at first you would find out whether you're meeting with your actual congressman or if you're meeting with one of their legislative aides. And I would be disappointed when oh, we're not actually meeting with the congressman. But it's the legislative aides that actually do a lot of that groundwork and, and they're the ones passing draft bills back and forth. And so winning them over and getting them to understand is is actually fairly important. As you say, they're they have even less experience and exposure than their than their congressmen. In in many cases, there's there's one who's been a legislative aide for one of our senators here in Ohio for as long as I've been engaged, which is really unusual. They usually move on to different positions, but she's excellent. Um, so she's extremely knowledgeable. But for, for a lot of the legislative aides, they're in those positions for a relatively short time. And you have an opportunity to really make an impression.
0: Well, they're the gateway.
1: Yeah, so I mean
0: exactly. they they hold the, the gates open or they close the gates and they may not even tell the 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 congressman or woman about whatever the meeting was if they don't believe in it. And so mm-hmm. that's where I've also found that you know you you really have to treat them like they're your representative uh, to even get to the representative if they weren't able to make it.
1: Yeah. Yep, absolutely.
0: But yeah, the, the the policy side, I, I'm I'm definitely with you there. Um, I'm excited to get back to policy week this year and uh, be able to to do it again. Um, it's definitely one of my one of my favorite activities. I think that I've participated in.
1: Yeah, the the interesting part has been on the flip side. So as we drafted those policies and we debated and we wordsmithed down to the you know every <laughs> single word to make sure it was perfect. Now as an ASHP staff member. I know when I'm going out on a limb, and I know when I have policy to back up what I'm saying. Um, Because one thing that's very difficult is having an organization of 60,000 members, we're not gonna get that statement correct that every member is gonna support it. But if I know if I say something to the media or if I'm putting something in a comment letter to FDA or someone else, and there's policy behind it, I know I have the voice of the entire organization. I'm not out there on a limb. Um. So if you're sitting in the room and you're wondering, well, what's the point of all these policy statements? Well, that's that's what it's about. That shapes how we go about our advocacy. It, uh, it shapes how we address um, the public. And so it's really important.
0: Now you mentioned that the media and I know you've done a number of media interviews over the past couple of years on on various topics. When you do those, is there you know, do they give you talking points or Hey, we want to talk about this one thing, and you're going to get 15 seconds to give me your spiel, or is it just we want to talk to you and you don't get a lot of that info?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of times we'll get questions in advance, so there's two sides of it. There's the the media side of you know here are the questions we're we're planning on asking. Sometimes we get more detailed. Sometimes they'll let us respond by email, which is great too if it's not a live uh, or a video type of, of audio or video recording. And then there's the ASHP side, and we work with a um, PR firm to help. I've done some dry runs with them in the past, but we've also said, okay, what is the message we want to send? So, for example, with the uh, oral antivirals coming out, there are a lot of questions about, well, how are are the drug interactions going to be managed and how accessible are these drugs? Can you tell us how how widely they're being used? And then we want to get to our talking points, which are pharmacists should be one of the access points for these products to be able to, to prescribe them. And so we'll work with the media relations team to to figure out ways to, to get those messages into those stories. Um, and sometimes we're successful. Sometimes the, the story will include that directly. Sometimes the reporter will say, oh, that's interesting. And then you'll end up talking to them again later on about that topic because they're interested in a new, doing an entire new story on it. That's happened before with um, some uh, provider status type of interviews. So the as far as being you know, scripted or, or you know, going through direct talking points, it's, it's a little more free-flowing than that. Um, it's kind of like this, actually. A lot of the interviews yeah. are over the phone. Some of them are audio. When they're being recorded, I feel a little bit less kind of anxious about it because I know there's editing that's going to go on. Right. Uh, there's been a few times where I've gone live, and that's a little more, um, it's more interesting.
0: <laughs> I would say the nerves definitely would, would increase on a on a live one than a recorded one.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know your comfort level uh, goes up as you go on. The first few that I did when I first started, um, we were we were talking a lot of drug shortage stuff. I was very careful with my words, and I you know the reporters you can you can kind of sense how they're how they're uh, taking in the interview, and it's better when you can just be the expert and talk. You know, and not right. have to worry so much about, you know, phrasing your words correctly or, you know, let them tell the story and they'll pick out. You can sometimes tell what the quote's going to be in the story when you say something you're like, oh, yeah, they're going to quote that. Um, <laughs> right. So hopefully it's a positive thing. But, you know, it's it's uh, it's better when you can just tell the story, um, share your expertise and let them write the story.
0: Yeah, I have had it, though, where it was probably a couple years ago. And it was, uh, I think I was interviewed by someone from a newspaper. And so it was over the phone and, you know, we talked for probably like 40 minutes mm-hmm. on, on a topic and, you know, gave them like, and I felt like I, I was the expert, you know, I'm giving them all the, these pieces. And then what they quoted was something like very last minute, like it was like a last minute part of the interview and it wasn't even correct. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I'm sitting there being like, I, I didn't actually see that. So I I do. um, I think if it was recorded, I probably would have felt a little better. But that was my first run-in of, oh, I wish you would have taken the first thirty minutes of everything that I said instead of the last little bit that you ended up getting maybe a little bit wrong.
1: Yeah, and it's hard when you read it. You know, you feel like you've had a really good interview. You got all your talking points in that you wanted to state, and then you read the story and. Like, oh, that's that's not where I felt like it was going, um, and that's been you know it's been better, but it there were some there were some tricky interviews there for a while as um, you know the the previous administration um, had some members of his team who were pushing hydroxychloroquine and you know there were a lot of stories about and even now with ivermectin still and so you know we try to stay political and um, but but when you're when you're talking about Something as hot of a topic as the COVID vaccine, or ivermectin, or hydroxychloroquine, you know, you you're always kind of holding your breath until that story comes out. How is this going to be framed? And so sometimes it's fine. Sometimes you read it and you're just like, oh, I hope nobody else reads that one. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes there's a subscription service and it's behind a paywall, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. There was one that uh, I did on it was on pharmacies owned by health systems, mm-hmm. and the way the article framed it is that these were endangered and they were going away and we didn't have data to support that but you know and we tried to to state what the data we have through our ashp national survey but you can't you can only control what you tell the reporter you can't right. control the message that comes out and it was not a very positive message that came out and so we had some members who reached out and you know it's like yeah we we completely agree with you we understand and you know we, we can't control what the story is. We can't control the headlines. So.
0: Yeah. And how they frame it and end up mm-hmm. putting it in, whether it be written print or uh, actual audio or, or video that they come out with. Yeah, exactly. We know all of your, your work. Um, I, I mentioned, I, I feel like I, I see your name a lot in, in a lot of different places, which is great, um, but really culminated into the ASHP CEO, award for staff excellence. So congratulations for that Um, at mid-year. I was, I was very excited to see that, but also honestly not surprised because of, I think everywhere that I've, I've seen you. So definitely wanted to to tell you congratulations on that.
1: Thank you. That's extremely humbling to, to work at an organization with so many high performing individuals to, to be recognized that way. I, I feel like at any given time you can point to anyone on the team and say, you know, you're deserving of this award. Um, so it really, it really meant a lot, especially knowing the team that I work with on a daily basis. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, and then you had another appointment as well that I feel like I'd, I also just saw come out.
1: Yeah, there's a couple that are going on. Um, <laughs> uh, the Joint Commission is forming a pharmacy advisory panel. And uh, yeah, I was appointed to that. And one that hasn't been announced yet, the FDA has a compounding center of excellence, and they're they're starting a new stakeholder group. It's cross sector for five hundred three Bs, and uh, they want they want me to participate as a sort of representing the purchasers or the users of five hundred three B products. So that that's going to be a very interesting experience too. Um, yeah, there's like there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. I think that's one of the things I've struggled the most with is how do you put information out there so that the members understand how hard we're working on their behalf and all these things that are going on um, without, I feel like we, we flood everyone's inbox, right? Everyone's inbox is <laughs> down at the moment. <laughs> but, um, you know, how do you get that message out in a way that that is telling everyone what's going on, what we're doing, how we're advocating for them without just overwhelming with, with a lot of communication and information? Um, so there, there's there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. It's one of the one of the more interesting things of working at ASHP is all the things that that we do. That as a member, you you really don't realize that they're going on constantly.
0: Yeah, I think until you get really involved with an organization, you know, you, you don't see all the behind the scenes. And even I think when you are involved, I certainly don't see all the the other pieces uh, that go on that that make it run. And yeah. you know, I'm. I'm showing up to events that I should be at and I'm prepared for what I need to do, but there's a lot of other ongoing pieces that are there. Mm-hmm. The The inbox thing is definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely real, but that across the board of yeah. people just, you know, everybody's I think trying to get information out and we struggle with the same thing of mm-hmm. how do we get information to our staff in a timely manner that, you know, in and I feel like you have to, uh, you know, the old saying of you got to get it to people seven times mm. and somebody has to hear something seven times before it sinks in. I'm like, well, I can't do that seven times all through an email blast. Right. So it's, it's gotta be in different forms, but, but we struggle with the same thing because you don't, it's hard to take an hour out of somebody's day unless you really make it applicable to them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really, so I, I, I hear you on that.
1: Yeah. one One of the things that stuck with me from my uh, ms uh, coursework and i cannot remember the class i can't remember the quote or who originated from but it was it was the biggest illusion about communication is that it has occurred <laughs> and so that you great. let that sink in like wow Yeah, it's a message sent but was message received and uh you know a lot of people who will email me or, or text me and with the question didn't you see the email that just literally hit your inbox yesterday. Like, I don't read all that email. I have too much email going on. Okay, fair. So here's, you know, here's here's what's happening.
0: Well, congratulations on both of those. Very, oh, very you. exciting. And um, always great to have pharmacy and I think health system pharmacy in particular, since that's the area that I am in, that to be what represented in, in both of those um, from joint commission, as well as the FDA and the 503Bs. The joint commission part, I think is interesting. Um, Because the uh, last survey that I was involved in, uh, which was pre-COVID, but there was a heavy emphasis on sterile compounding. It was one of the top four items that they were looking at across the entire hospital with sterile compounding. And I personally spent two full days with a surveyor, like walking around to every site. He did his inspections, but then we also physically sat in my office and reviewed every certification report uh, with all the managers. So it's definitely getting uh, more intense and more scrutiny, which is not a bad thing. I mean, I think we, we we do a great job at that, but it was definitely different than in the
1: past, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. There had been a definitely an emphasis, and especially on those certifications. And you're right. Those standards exist for a reason and making sure that we're Following those standards is important for for patient safety, but I, the challenge I think with it's complicated enough for our experts to understand and to manage. So being able to work with a surveyor, I think people have different experiences of how familiar that surveyor is with the standards, um, and so I think it I think it has to go both ways, and that's why I'm excited to 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 uh, get involved with this advisory panel because I think what's What's happening in practice should be following the standards, but there are always going to be little carve-outs and things that have to happen a certain way in certain circumstances. You know, I think of, probably not the best example, but succinylcholine has been an issue. It's probably no longer an issue because everyone's gotten the message, but it used to be that it could be stored outside of the refrigerator longer than what the manufacturer labeling said. There are instances where you know we're compounding things, and we're we're applying a BUD that's uh, based on a literature study that's from twenty years ago, but it's the best we have. Um so there there are nuances, I think, that unless you're really in it and you're you're an expert in it and understand it, it's easy for a surveyor to come in and mark something and then you know you feel like it's unfair and we've always done things this way. and and there has to be a balance between making sure that the the right drug is there for the patient in the right time, but also making sure it's safe and it's of high quality. And so I think there's there's a lot of opportunity to to work with Commission and, and work through some of those challenging scenarios because they're not black and white. Yet.
0: right? Yeah, there's there's definitely ones that I think are black and white, and it's like, yes, okay, that falls a standard. It makes sense. And there's a lot of gray mm-hmm. that exists and and we definitely spent, I would say the majority of the time going through the gray. The things that were supposed to be black and white were and very clear to see. Uh, I think we got a thumbs up and then you know we spent an entire day talking through the gray's and and some of them there there maybe is a best practice but there's no true standard that exists out there. There's no guideline around it. And those things I think is is definitely what can trip you up and and takes an extraordinary amount <laughs> of time uh, when you're doing the survey. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And our guidelines, um, first hour compounding are sort of in limbo. There was a, there's a team working on updating them with the previous revisions to USP. So hopefully as we go through the, the current iteration and see if we get a final official version and then our guidelines will be updated accordingly. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that fills in some of the gray. And I hope your audience will take that message from earlier on and Remain engaged um, if they are engaged, and, and increase that level of engagement. Because uh, what you do as members, it it matters. Um, and I say that as a former member and as a staff member.
0: And I, well, I think the the way that you can get engaged and you can shape some of those policies, you can shape some of that. But it's it's hard to do that from the sideline um, mm-hmm. if you're if you're not actively engaged. Yeah,
1: it's it's easy to criticize from the sideline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it is it's it's hard to actually affect change from the sideline so
0: mike it was great to see you again and i uh, hope to be able to actually see you maybe in person this
1: year at at, yeah. a,
0: at an ashp meeting
1: exciting times with with hopefully with um a lot of the omicron wave coming to a close hopefully we're, we're going to be back to in person soon yeah
0: uh fingers crossed for sure
1: yeah i look forward to it
0: awesome well thanks so much have a great Take day have a great day you too bye Thank you for listening to the unscripted podcast. If you love it, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts.